Well, good morning, Hutto Bible Church. How are you? It's good to see you. Happy New Year. My name is Trey Dove. I'm the spiritual formation pastor. In case uh, this is your first Sunday, you decided to get a jump on the new year and you said, I'm going to go one day early to church. And so we're glad you're here. Or maybe I just haven't had the chance to meet you yet. I'm, I'm glad that you're here and hopefully we can chat in a little bit after the service, but I'm, I'm excited to be here and to end this uh, year 2023 with you this morning. We are uh, spending our morning wrapping up the benediction series, which we actually began as an Advent series. And so this is, if, if you know anything about Advent, it's four weeks long. Typically, we are in our fifth week, and so we've extended it one week beyond Advent. So while it's over, we did think, you know what? Why don't we spend the last Sunday of the year looking at one final benediction from God's word? And so um, without going into the four benedictions that we've looked at over the last few weeks, I want to briefly remind us this morning of what a benediction is. And in its most basic form, a benediction is a blessing spoken over God's people. And as such, it's a blessing that is for the individual in the room who's been united by faith to Christ Jesus, and it's a blessing for the body, meaning it's a blessing for the whole of God's people who've who've been united to Christ by faith, or to put it in other words, it's a blessing for you as the individual person, brother or sister who follows Jesus, and it's a blessing for us as the body of Christ. And our guiding principle throughout this whole series has been, that the advent of Christ moved the benediction from aspiration to actuality. Now, I'm not smart enough to come up with that. Uh, Bobby did. Um, But this has been kind of week after week, we've been coming back to this principle that the advent or the arrival of Jesus moved benediction or these blessings for God's people from aspiration, meaning something we hope for, long for, wish for, to actuality, meaning it's, it's, It's real now, it's ours, or to put it in Paul's own words in 2 Corinthians 1, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so every promise of God that's been made to the people of God is available and accessible to any and all who place their faith in Jesus. So if that's you this morning, then these promises are yours, and to this church, these promises are ours as the people of God because of what Christ accomplished in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so there is no more guessing, there is no more hoping, there is no more wishing, no more wanting, because the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And church, you can, you can breathe in and breathe out and you can rest in that. You can rest in what Christ has accomplished for you. Now, because we just celebrated Christmas, I thought perhaps a Christmas illustration would be helpful and fun to kind of drive home this point and every point I'm going to make along the way this morning. And so what I want you to do is, in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine with me a young boy. And it is just days before Christmas. And he has for weeks, maybe even months, he has watched his parents walk in and out of the house with bags and boxes. He's seen them in the kitchen, hovered over the counter or sitting at the table. He's heard them whispering gleefully for weeks, well aware of the fact that they've been talking about him. And this young boy has made it his personal mission to snuff out every single Christmas gift hidden within the walls of his house before Christmas arrives. 
And so he has searched bedrooms, he has searched bathrooms, he has searched closets, he's looked high and low, and every single time mom or dad has gone to the restroom, he would set the timer and he would do like a 40-yard dash around the house trying to snuff out these coveted Christmas gifts until one day his father comes to him and says, son, I want you to come with me for a second. And he takes him by the hand and he leads him to the closet that's just beneath the stairs. He opens the door, he yanks back this big red blanket which covered the entire floor, and right before the eyes of this young boy sits a mountain of Christmas presents. Every single gift that this boy's father and mother purchased for him sits right there in front of him, uncovered, unveiled, unhidden, right in front of him. And now imagine this young boy is standing at the closet, staring at these gifts, and his eyes, they get wide, and his body begins to tremor and shake with excitement and gladness. And he even looks up to his father, and he begins to, like, there's a tear in the young boy's eye because of all of the emotion of the moment, and his dad is looking down at him with full, full of joy. And, and the boy says, now what? Now what, dad? Church, now what? What does he do next? He plays with the gifts, right? He gets in there, he grabs them. Like it would be silly at this point in the story for the young boy to simply stand at the threshold of the closet, this mountain of gifts, to just stand and stare in awe. Like it, it would be ridiculous. I mean, I know I know as a father, as a parent, like, I, I mean, all the gifts that we bought my child for Christmas, I think those are pretty sweet gifts if I do say so myself. But the best, the best feeling, the joy is when I see my child grab the gifts, rip them open, and begin to play with them, right? I've purchased these for you so that I get to experience the fullness of joy on your face when you get to see the stars, stickers on your sky and the disco light. Like, I get to experience that. I mean, how many of you have like seen those massive Nerf guns at the store? Anybody? Like the big old, you're like, do they make these? Like those massive Nerf guns? Those things are pretty cool. And in fact, I think it would be pretty cool to own a Nerf gun with 150 darts. A Nerf gun with 150 darts in the box is pretty cool. It's so much better to open the Nerf gun, put the darts in, and just to start pelt each other with them, right? That's better than looking at a boxed up Nerf gun. Well, church, Jesus has purchased the blessings of God for those who belong to him. All of God's blessings have been made available to God's people, meaning they are yours and they are ours because of Jesus and irrevocably so. And the question is, will we receive them and enjoy them as our own or will we stand back gazing at their wonder and their beauty and their majesty and all the while missing out on the grace of God which is available to us right now. And so every benediction that we've looked at over the last four weeks that we've covered, like one of those, each of those benedictions are a gift that Christ purchased for us. Gifts of God's grace, promises of God's grace that both have future fulfillments for those who are in Jesus, but also meant to be experienced and received and enjoyed today and every day after. And we're gonna end our year looking at one more benediction. And so if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word.
Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And so here's what I want to do for us this morning. I'm going to break our time into a couple of sections. The first is going to be like, we're going to look at the gift itself. What is the gift that Christ bought for us? And then the second half is really going to be, what does it look like to kind of get in there, grab the gift and enjoy it as our own? And so if I could summarize this benediction uh, in my own words, I would summarize it like this, that God will totally and completely sanctify you, your whole person, so as to make you free free of all guilt at the coming of our Lord Jesus. That's the trade dove paraphrase, that Bible does not exist. You can't buy that anywhere. That is free for you this morning. To put it in other words, the blessing that's been purchased for you and for those who are in Christ Jesus is your complete and total sanctification. Now, the word sanctification or the word sanctify means to make something holy. And the word holy is used to describe something or someone that is set apart. And so when we, for example, talk about God's holiness, which we read about in scripture, we sing about in songs, we talk about in our theological conversations, to to say that God is holy means that he alone is God. That he exists above and is distinct from his creation, which is everything that's not him, right? And not only that, but he is above and distinct from every other God that's been created by the minds of man. And so because God is holy, he is morally perfect. Because he is holy, he is glorious in power. Because he is holy, he alone is sovereign and uh, he alone has authority. Like there is none like him because he's holy. And so then in the Bible, for someone or something to be described or called holy, it means that this thing or this person or these people have been called out, set apart, consecrated by God for his own glory, purpose, and delight. And so to grasp the magnitude of this gift, I want to break this down into three categories. What God has done, what God will do, and what God is doing. So let's talk about what God has done. Starting with Ephesians 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or 1 Corinthians 6, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Or 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so the technical term for what these passages describe is positional sanctification. And it simply means this, church, that if you're in Christ, God has made you holy. God has sanctified you if your faith is in Jesus. 
And that holiness, that sanctification that is yours in Christ was bought for you by the blood of Jesus. In fact, in Revelation 7, John, in his vision, he describes the people of God entering into God's glorious presence, and he describes them as wearing these robes that are white as snow. If you've ever bought a white piece of garment, you know that you wash it once, and it's a little less white than before, right? If it's an undershirt, a year later, you're like, was this yellow when I bought it? But John says, as he sees the people entering God's presence, that they were wearing robes that were white as snow. And the question, of course, is how'd they get that white? And the answer in Revelation 7 is that they were washed by the blood of the Lamb. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, spirit, soul, and body, which means every single part of you, none is lacking, has been washed, purified, cleansed, and set apart by God for God. And so your sin, which once soiled you and marked you, was washed away by the blood of the lamb in the eyes of God. And it's not just for a moment. Like, like when you think about the Old Testament, you think about these purification rituals, like, like the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they would have to wash themselves and purify themselves to enter the presence of God, but then they would sin and they'd have to rewash themselves and rewash themselves and rewash themselves because they kept on sinning. But with the blood of the Lamb or the blood of Jesus, this purification or this washing, it's not a momentary washing. It's not just for a season. It's not until you fail or it's not until you repeat that same sin that you've been fighting for 15 years, this gift of being sanctified and made holy is yours irrevocably so because Jesus bought it with his blood and his blood does not fail. And so your sin, church, your sin, it cannot render the blood of Jesus ineffective. If your faith is in Christ, his life for you, which was perfect, his death for you, which was substitutionary, and his resurrection for you, if your faith is in him and what he's done that you've been sanctified, you are holy. Now as for what God will do in the future, the apostle John says that when we see God, we will be like God for we shall see him as he is. And so in other words, God has sanctified you The Bible says God will sanctify you completely and totally for all eternity. Like you will be made absolutely clean, cleansed from the presence of sin. It will be eradicated from the people of God as we enter into his presence for all eternity. There will be nothing that hinders our our enjoyment and delight and worship of him when we enter into his presence. It's gone. You've been made holy and you will be made holy, but what about right now? Well, church, the gift gets better. God's word describes our progressive sanctification for the people of God. Progressive sanctification is the ongoing process of being reformed into the image of Jesus. Or to quote Paul David Tripp, he says, sanctification is the process by which God actually makes us what he has declared us to be in Christ, righteous. He goes on to say that God does this really and personally through the virtue of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and by his word and spirit living in them, meaning the people of God. For them, the rule of sin is destroyed and their sinful lusts are more and more weakened and put to death. They are more and more alive and strengthened by saving grace to pursue true holiness. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
or to put it differently, God actually begins to change our desires if we're in Christ. And he does it through his word as we behold God for who he is. And and he does it by his indwelling spirit who kind of gets in us and makes his home in our hearts. And so sin is then for the Christian made to be unattractive and its allure is weakened progressively as God's righteousness and holiness is made increasingly more and more attractive. So whereas where sin was once enticing it, it grows to become more and more repulsive for those in Christ. And this happens as the Spirit of God deepens our affections for Jesus and increases our desire for holiness. So what once seemed sweet now becomes sour to the people of God. What was once perceived as producing life is now rightly perceived as producing death. The Apostle Peter says it like this in 2 Peter 1, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire or Paul in 2 Corinthians says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so the way I would would kind of sum all of it up is that sanctification is the power of God made available in the son of God and applied by the spirit of God to form us into the image of Jesus in accordance with the will of God. And the glorious promise, church, the glorious promise of 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 is that he will do it. He will not fail in this blessing. And so he has sanctified you if you're in Christ. He is sanctifying you if you are in Christ and he will sanctify you completely and totally on the day of Jesus if you are in Christ. Or rather, he has made you holy, he is making you holy, and he will make you holy when you see him. And my confidence, again, in this rests in the reality that Jesus bought this gift with his blood. His blood does not fail in what it purchased. And so this is yours and this is ours in Christ Jesus as a gift of God's unmerited and unearned grace. Like all of what I've just said, every bit of it is a gift of God's grace to you, Christian. In fact, it's God's grace that saves you at the moment of belief. And we're familiar with that, right? We, we trust in Jesus and we're like, it's by grace that I've been saved. But it's not just a moment of salvation that we receive grace. God's grace secures us and it keeps us and it holds us all the way into eternity and every day after. And it's God's grace that sanctifies and transforms us in this life now. And so brother or sister, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is marked by grace, his grace it goes before you it comes behind you it covers you now today and tomorrow and the day after like 
It's God's grace applied to you by God's Holy Spirit that brings about true righteous and holy transformation. It's his grace that makes you more like Jesus today than you were the day before, and it's his grace even that helps you see the gap between who he is and who you are right now. Like it's the grace of God that enables the people of God to behold Jesus and to sense the disparity, and not in like a self-condemning or self-loathing, like, oh my gosh, I hate myself kind of way, but in a kind of way that as we behold the Son, there is a cry within our heart that says, God, make me like him. I see how loving the Son is. I wanna, I wanna love like Jesus loves. I see how humble he is. I, God, I'm, I'm a prideful turd. Like, make me humble like Jesus. I see that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And all I think about day after day is how I'm gonna get what I want. Help me to serve in the way that the Son served. It's God's grace that enables us to see the gap and pray, Holy Spirit, make me like the Son. And if you don't see the gap, it's either because you don't see Jesus for who he actually is, or you have a busted up self-awareness meter or both, but the blessing for all who are in Christ is God will make you like Jesus. God has sanctified you, God will sanctify you, God is sanctifying you as the Spirit of God applies the grace of God to you each and every day, empowering you then to grow in practical holiness and righteousness. And so son or daughter of God, behold your gift. This is your blessing. Now again, go back to the little boy standing at the closet, right? It's, it's one thing to sort of marvel at the gift itself, to marvel at the glory of the gift, and it is glorious, right? But it's another thing to reach in, grab the gift, to rip into it, and enjoy it as the Lord intends for us. This is what the Christian life is all about, in fact. It's about participation with God. So the second part of our sermon this morning is participation with God, taking hold of the gift that Christ purchased. The word of God says it like this in Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Or Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or Colossians 2, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Or James 3, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Or 1 Peter 1, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now that's just a few passages from the New Testament but there are many, many more in both the new and the old. 
And the point, I hope, is clear that progressive sanctification is active. It's not passive. Like, it's not as if tonight you're going to lay your head on your pillow after you pop off some fireworks or whatever, and you're going to sleep for six to eight hours, maybe 10 if you don't have any plans tomorrow. And then you're going to open your eyes in the morning and be like, oh, I'm so much more holy right now because I slept and the spirit's working. Like that's not how it works. You might be more um, enjoyable or more pleasant because you ate and slept, but that doesn't make you more holy. Not as if you got out of the way and God did his thing and then you woke up and now he's got to press pause on sanctification. That's not how it works. It's not passive, it's active. In fact, from the beginning of the Bible, starting in Genesis 1 and 2, God's intention for humanity was always to partner with him, to participate in what he's doing in the world. Like in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in a garden, and his desire was to partner with them to then cultivate the world, to reign and rule with him as his representatives to take the garden and expand it and to fill the earth with his image. Think about the Old Testament, the story of Israel. God redeems them out of Egypt. He gives them the law. He puts them in a land surrounded by the nations and he says, I want you to be a light unto the nations so that when they look in, what they see is my glory, my power, my righteousness that you belong to me. And then he tells Abraham earlier on, hey, by the way, I'm going to bless the nations through your offspring. God's desire was always to partner with his people, and it's no different for progressive sanctification. He says, I've made you holy, so go and be holy. I've made you righteous in Christ, so go and live righteously. I, I bought you with the blood of my son, And with that same blood, I purchased good works beforehand for you to go and walk in them. And so go and do these good works. And so God works in us by his Holy Spirit to will and to work for his good pleasure. And as he does that, Paul says, we are then to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so the Christian life is one of participation with God. Now I wanna pause and be clear about something because I don't know what you hear when I say that. And I don't know what you bring into this room when, you know, from, from your past. Like, I don't know what's going on in your head. And so I want to be clear about some things. I'm not talking about self-help. I'm not talking about some form of self-righteousness. I'm not talking about this sort of like do good works and you get to earn God's love and every good work, it's like more of God's love. I'm not talking about pull yourself up from your bootstraps or like some empty religious activity. Now, each one of those things, they might make you a better person externally. I think some of us probably need to help ourselves out a bit more than we do now. But those things aren't going to change your heart. And you can do all of it, and you can be shinier and prettier and more put together, but you will be exhausted, and you will be no more holy than you were before. What I'm talking about is the people of God empowered by the Holy Spirit pursuing righteousness and pursuing holiness in partnership with God as he shapes and forms us into the likeness of Jesus from the inside out. 
In fact, the Bible has a word for this kind of category. It's, it's freedom or for this idea, it's called freedom. Like in Galatians 5, Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again in Galatians 5, I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or in Romans 6, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things at which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves to God, the fruit that you get, it leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so before you were in Christ, you were a slave to sin and the desires of the flesh, but in Christ, those chains have been loosed and you've been set free to run towards holiness and righteousness, not because you're in pursuit of something that's not already yours, it is. And as you run, the Spirit is at work in you, making you more like Jesus. And so what I wanna do with the remaining few minutes I have is I wanna provide a few um, tangible ways that we can actually participate with God in our own sanctifying work. Now, I love ending the year with a sermon on sanctification and spiritual formation and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think this is actually why Bobby wanted this benediction on this particular Sunday. It's because most of us are already thinking, as we're thinking about the new year, we're already thinking about what we want to do and who we hope to be at the end of 2024, right? Like how many of you have started making a New Year's resolution list? Or are you like, I don't do that anymore? Okay, so Bobby, Bobby made a list, no one else. Wow, weirdos, right? What's up with that? Okay, maybe you don't have a list, but in your mind, I think you have a vision of what the next year holds for you. And so maybe you're thinking in the next year, I wanna lose 15 pounds. Maybe you're thinking in the next year, I wanna gain 20 pounds because you know bulking season is a year long. Maybe this next year your goal is to run a half marathon or a full marathon. Maybe you read 50 books in 2023 and you wanna read 60 books or 150 books in 2024. Maybe you read zero books and you're like, just one would be great. That's my goal, read one novel in 2024. Or maybe you're like, I wanna start cooking more. Or you're like, you know, I wanna go on another vacation to another island, but a different island that's, that's got different water and animals and stuff, right? Like, I don't know. And hear me say, those aren't bad things. Like. Make your list, do those things, they're awesome, they sound great, I hope you can go on another tropical vacation. But none of those things are ultimate. And I'll say this, if you make your list tonight or tomorrow or whatever, if you make your list and it lacks a vision of who God wants you to be, then your list is insufficient. So ask yourself, as you look to the new year, how can I participate with God this year in his sanctifying work? Or ask, like, how do I hope at the end of 2024 to look more like Jesus and what's it going to take for that to happen? The way you answer that question is gonna look different. Like, it's just gonna look different for different people in different seasons and stages of life. Like, if you're an empty nester, it's gonna look different than it would, you know, someone with, like, a, a bunch of little kiddos. Or it's gonna look different if you're a single 20-something. Like, it's going to look different for you based on your season and stage of life. But what I wanna do is give you three categories that you can start to think through how we can participate with God in this new year and every year after in this sanctifying work. And so here are those three categories. Participation with God, be with him. Be with his people. 
and be in the world. And so starting with be with him, like if your daily or weekly rhythm and routines, if they leave you little to no time to just simply be with Jesus, then you need to change your schedule. You're never going to become like Christ if you don't spend time with him. How could you? You don't know him. And so do this by spending time in his word. Bobby's already given you a whole commercial for that. So quickly, download the Dwell app. It's, it's, it's purchased for you, like it's there. You just have to download it and use it or commit yourself to a reading plan throughout the year and actually do it. Don't get bogged down in Leviticus. Push through. There's a lot more Bible after the law, okay? Join me and Bobby and Zach and Riley and a bunch of others and do the 30-day shred. It's hard, but it's good and it's awesome. Or start and end your day in the presence of God. It does not have to be complicated, but you won't be like Jesus if you won't be with him. Spend time with him. Another way to be with him is to to study God's word. I mean, it's one thing to read the Bible, to spend time with God for 30 minutes in the morning or evening. It's another thing to to like deep dive into God's word, to immerse yourself in it, to, to not look at the forest, but to study the trees and the bark, to rip into it and to have your mind renewed by the word of God. Ways to do that. Join our men's and women's Bible study in the spring. We're gonna study the Christian story. So what's God's story from Genesis to Revelation and where are we? and what are we to do in the middle of that? How does it shape and transform us? Join us in that. Study God's word or join a Bible study fellowship group. Another way to be with him is be with him in prayer. Like the Bible, I've been going through the Psalms and, and if you know me, this is just like a, I'm just gonna be honest with you, like I struggle with the Psalms, but God's been so gracious. He's been sanctifying me and I love the Psalms now, but I've been reading through the Psalms and over and over and over there's this refrain that's God inclines his ear towards his people. That means he, he, does, he bends his ear to you because he actually wants to talk to you. He wants to hear you talk to him. He wants to talk back to you. So spend time with him in prayer. Be still with him. Pray in the morning, pray in the evening, pray on the way to work, pray on the way home, pray in the driveway before you walk in. You know the house is messy and the kids are being bad. Pray and ask God, help me. Be like Jesus when I wanna spank my kid, right? Like, help me here. Pray prayers of thanksgiving and pray prayers of lament when you feel lost and hopeless, but pray and then listen and watch what he'll do. That's the first category, be with him. You won't be like him if you won't be with him. Second is be with his people. One of God's greatest and most formative tools for his people as it pertains to sanctification is his church. Now I I say this with nothing but love and concern for you church, if your only interaction with the people of God or with the people of this church is for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning once a week, that's just not gonna move the sanctification needle forward. It's just not. And, And let's be honest, an hour and a half is generous for some of us, right? Like some of you right now are sitting there thinking, your, your best Sunday would be you show up a little late, the band's already sang two songs, they're wrapping up the third, you've got your coffee in hand, Bobby steps up, you hear the sermon, you're like, that was very good for my soul, and then after communion, you're heading to the car so you can beat everyone to Home Depot or lunch or whatever, and all you had to do is give a few smiles and head nods and good mornings, and that's like, you're like, best Sunday ever, in and out, 45 minutes, and, and I'm just telling you, 
I'm just telling you. It's not going to do it for you. There are 168 hours in a week. Assuming you sleep eight hours a night, I don't, maybe you're better than me. Assuming you sleep eight hours a night, that means you spend 112 hours awake every single week interacting with people, interacting with the world, interacting with media and social media. Some of that's good and some of that's bad and all of it is shaping and forming who you are as a person. 90 minutes on a Sunday with the people of God and the presence of God I'm just telling you, there's a lot of time left in the week. And that's just not God's design or desire for you. And so if you're in Christ, you are a part of his body. That's not like just a cute thing. The Bible says that you're a part of Christ's body. And so what that too means is that your relationship with Jesus isn't just personal. It is a personal relationship with Jesus, but you're a part of his body. Your relationship with Jesus is communal by design. His church is a gift to his people so that we would be formed and encouraged to be more like Christ. And so I'm gonna challenge you this morning. This next year, be with his people. Take steps towards his people. Commit to this church. And if you don't think you can, go somewhere else where you can. Won't hurt our feelings. Join a Bible study group. Again, we study at round tables. Join a community group. If you're like, none of those work, come and talk to me about starting a new group. Join our membership class next week. Ask someone in the church to disciple you and to take you under their wing, to show you how to follow Jesus. You need to find your people in this church if this is your church because I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again, as long as, I'm, as, long as I have breath or until Bobby fires me, God's church is the place where the people of God experience the grace of God in tangible ways. You rob yourself of that if you don't move towards his people. And his grace is formative. And then finally, the goal of our sanctification church is not so that at 2024 you get to go, gosh, I am such a better person than I was last year, right? The goal of our sanctification is that we would move into the world and be a blessing to others. As Robert Mulholland Jr. says, spiritual formation is the process of becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. Christ calls his church to be salt in a tasteless, decaying world, to be light in a world shrouded in darkness. And we do that not by running, not by hiding, not by withdrawing. We don't need to build bigger fences or put people into categories so that we can hold them at an arm's length from us. We do this as those who are filled with the Spirit of God, going into the world with the truth, the love, the grace, the compassion, the mercy, the generosity, and the hospitality of Jesus. Because his life, his death, his resurrection, church, it was for you, and it was for the world. And so as those who've received his grace, we're called to go, and so here's a step. Take a risk. Invite your next door neighbor over for dinner. Cook for them, welcome them in, show them the hospitality of Jesus. Go on a mission trip next year. Or here's a, here's a bigger, more scary step. Talk to Jonathan and join the evangelism team and go into the neighborhoods and actually talk to people in this community about Jesus and just pray for them. Or share the gospel with a coworker, a family member, someone who doesn't know Jesus. I've just given you a whole bunch of things and that list isn't even exhaustive, but commit yourself this year, church, to doing one or more of these things because, because 
God has sanctified you. Because God will sanctify you. And because God is sanctifying you, he will do it because Jesus bought this gift with his blood and his blood does not fail. There's no gift receipt with this one. And so let me end by just saying this, that who you are today is not who you will be tomorrow. Like we are a product of every experience, every conversation, every relationship, every action, everything that we devote ourselves to, all of that works to shape and form who we are. And we're either being formed into the image of Jesus or we're not. We're being formed for better or for worse by those things. And the gift that Christ purchased is the blessing of sanctification that the Father intends to sanctify his people by the Spirit to make us more like his Son, Jesus. Every day, moment by moment, until we enter into glory. So I'm going to end with this quote from Mason King. He says, Here's the thing, God is real. He can be trusted and he loves you. God doesn't tolerate you, God loves you. God loves you and God's not waiting for a future version of you to love and he has a future version of you in mind. Church, this is your gift. Now get in there and enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the promise and the assurance of this blessing that who I am today is not who I will be tomorrow. That who I am today and tomorrow is not who I will be when I enter into glory. Thank you, Father, that in Christ Jesus you've cleansed me, you've washed me, That as you see me now, you see your son who's been made holy, who's been sanctified because of the blood of the lamb. Thank you, Father, that uh, when I enter into your presence, the, the very presence of sin in my life will be eradicated, that there will be nothing hindering my enjoyment of you in glory, and that even now, God, As I stand here, as I live and breathe, your spirit is working in me to make me more like your son. Help me and help us to participate. And help us to see and enjoy the gift that you've purchased with your blood. Pray for this time as we approach your table now that we would be met once again with your sanctifying grace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.